Hello, everyone. Welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. I am your veteran, Donnie. I am Frank, your already tired neophyte. <laughs> so, um, we are taking a look at season one, episode 14. It's called Under Pressure. I'm just going to do a quick content ro- warning right out of the gate. Um, the A plot in particular is going to have mentioning slash discussions relating to alcoholism, unhealthy coping mechanism uh, mechanisms, domestic violence, um, being a survivor of abuse potentially. So I just wanted to put that out, out of the way. If this is something that you don't feel comfortable um, engaging with, feel free to t- sit this one out um, because this A plot, there is a lot said, there's a lot unsaid. And none of it is particularly happy. Yeah, this is this was a rough one. This was a very rough one. Yeah, so let's just get with it. What is our A plot and B plot this week, Frank? Our A plot. This is our first Sean A plot. Um, Sean is nervous about his test, um, which brings up a lot of feelings for him and causes him to act out, which culminates in a fight with Jimmy. Which leads to some very disheartening, very sad um, results. And the B-plot is Skinner's trying to get out of a test. Um, and he tries to get out in, usual, in one of his usual dumb, skit, dumb and gross Skinner plans. You keep Skinner. calling him Skinner. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Steam Ham videos <laughs> over the course of the weekend. Spinner. Spinner, Spinner, Spinner. His name is Spinner. Did you know? Excuse me, his name is Gavin. (laughs) Gavin is his government name. (laughs) Um, I mean, let's take a look at the B-plot first, not only because it's a little lighter, but also I feel like it sets up a lot of my questions about how the hell this school runs. (laughs) So, a big issue that is happening that connects the A-plot and the B-plot together is the idea that they have these big tests happening. And, like... But they're not really establishing why. Like, the kids, at least Spinner and Sean, who both have struggled with repeating a grade, are talking about how they can't fail these tests. But they're not really called finals, and they're not called midterms, and they're not called quarterlies, and they're not called, like, admission tests. They're just called tests. But not even end-of-the-year tests. I have no idea what time it is in this (laughs) whole entire episode. We, yeah, like, we haven't had any indications of seasons changing. No! Like, I think people are wearing a bit more, like, wintry gear this time around. And are are Canadian schools on the same school year as ours? They are. are? Okay. They are. Because it just seems to have been fall the entire time. Like, it doesn't seem like we've gone anywhere. Which, like, and my issue with this type of stuff is I understand that when you're filming, you're kind of at the mercy of whenever you're filming in terms of the seasons, and I get that, but, like, why don't you pull off something like Friday Night Lights did, which was, like, the whole season is focused on the football season. So, technically, if you watch Friday Night Lights, you don't see what's going on outside of the football season. You see literally, like, late summer and autumn. And that's pretty much all you see. And then they fill in the gaps of what happens during the rest of the school year when the season starts up again. I don't understand why, if you understand the limitations of your seasons, why you don't just have this be 
one quarter of of the school year or half of a school year because you can still have it be like maybe Degrassi has this policy that like you need to pass the first half of the year or something like that to make sure you're in good standing to be able to graduate from eighth grade to high school or something because I could not understand the stakes that they were trying to present themselves with like I could not understand what time it was. I couldn't understand why Spinner and Sean needed to pass this test so desperately. And I think it could have easily been remedied. Yeah, like, there's just... Like, these tests just come out of nowhere. Like, we we had... Like, Emma was uh, freaking out about one of her quizzes back during coming of age. Um, But, like... There's been no other mention of stuff like this. Like, so, yeah. I'm, I'm just so... Con- like, how much of this is your grade, kids? Like, can I see a syllabus? Right? Like, I want to know. Just a quick look at the syllabus. And, like, I'll pause it and I'll be right, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, I just need something like that because it's also really hard to read because it sounds like the tests are relatively cumulative. Like, I don't, so, so we have established, and we'll get into plot by plot, but, like, I feel like it's really important to understand how utterly baffling the way that this is portrayed. Because Media Immersion has an exam of some sort that is happening, and it appears that it has a certain start point, but it's still an obscene amount of content they have to go over. Much like a final, like, you usually don't have in classes a full year cumulative test, but it's usually kind of the first half, the first half or the second half of the year. So it sounds like they're kind of going with that in the media immersion. English, it sounds like they had to have knowledge of, like, all the books that they read that year. Which is, like, really hard, number one. Yeah. That's shit I had to deal with in college. Yeah. Not in high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like, a really, really hard test. And it's it's just really confusing to me what... It was hard. I understood the stakes had to have been high enough that these two characters who repeated a grade have a lot of stress, but I could not for the life of me figure out exactly on a, on a, like, you know, based in the pedagogy of it, I could not figure out what the hell was going on. The, um, like, just to kind of, like, I was just imagining, like, what if you tried this in any other media? Like, what if you try this for an action movie? Like... It's just a guy typing, like, really fast on the computer. He's like, I need more time! I have to crack the code! And it's just like, like, you just jumped into that scene without knowing anything else, like, what the fuck is going on? And you're like, okay, I'm just watching a madman. For all I know, like, he just, he's a programmer, and this is his day job. Yeah, like, it's, and the thing is about this is, I feel like there were very easy ways to establish this a little better. I think that you easily could have had Ashley making the morning announcements being like, just so everybody knows, like, it's final test week, make sure that you have, you know, make sure you're prepared. You could have had a flyer on the wall, or you could have just had Snake or um, Quan, which we'll get to, um, say like, hey, this is your last major assignment for the school year. Make sure you end it on a high note. Yeah, because... This, it's this plus the A plot just 
this felt like a lazy episode to the point of being its detriment, like... Yeah, no, I agree. And it's really upsetting because I actually think that they were on a roll for a little bit. Yeah. Like, we were getting some really decent episodes, but... And I thought that they had a lot of... A lot of this stuff avoided. Like, they were able to kind of address some of these potential pratfalls. And for whatever reason, this episode, it just... They were, went back to the the issues that I think we saw a lot in the earlier part of the season, even when they were trying to say some pretty important stuff. So your B-plot is really focused on um, Spinner, and Spinner, it opens up with, like, the B-plot really opens up when Spinner's, like, dribbling, basically, in the hall. Um, <laughs> and Paige has no time for this. No, Paige is, like, chasing him. Um, which I guess made me remember that I think they're technically still in a relationship together. Who the fuck knows? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, but she's just kind of like corralling him or trying to corral him. She's having very- A full-time job. Yeah, yeah, right? Like varying degrees of success over here. Um, and as they're trying, as she's trying to corral him into the classroom and he's like, you know, just kind of like, whatever. He's basically like, if I die, I die mode, really, <laughs> in the way that he's acting. Um, we see appear in in the doorway. Well, or, Paige and him go through the door and then they back out. Yes. And I'm like, oh, oh, snap, Radish has got them in trouble. And it's like, Miss Claude is back! Yes, she's finally back. Um, she tells the students, like, you know, my husband, like, you know, apparently he finished up his chemo treatment. Well, well Terry asks. Yeah, Terry it, asks. Very, I felt a very respectful way. Yeah, I agree. And then she's just like, you know what? Like, he, you know, he's done with his treatment. He's, you know, still on the mend, but I'm able to be back. Which, you know, it's it's nice to see that plot point come back. Yeah. Um. It's nice to see her back, and it's, you know, unfortunately, it seems to be a very, very stressful time, and I feel, even for her, I can't imagine what it's like. If this is apparently some sort of end-of-the-year testing season, I can't imagine what it's like coming back to your classroom after a couple months, and, like, try. it's, like, feels like you're trying to find a moving target. Like, oh, boy. Though, and I was also just like, so she's back for, like, what, three weeks? And then I was like, well, summer vacation, later! Yeah, which I guess, like, there is some convenient, some something nice about that. It's just like, you know what, it's whatever. Who am I going to blame? The principal. <laughs> like. Do you think the kids were happy to see her, like, and have Radish replaced, or? It seemed like they were happy enough. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that it's one of those things, like, when you end up in a situation where you it's kind of like the evil you know and the evil you don't know and they saw the evil they didn't know and they're like you know what maybe i like my t-shirt um so so spinner spinner gets a 51 on his math exam and he's like yeah just gotta get through english and i can move to the eighth grade yeah yeah which i mean if you're playing the numbers game and you have a decent enough grade for the rest of it in theory like you could get a bullshit grade like that and that's enough because also let's imagine that spinner is is you know he is at the bottom of the barrel let's assume he's he's the type and i'm going to assume he's the type of student who could get a c minus or a d and he'd be like well at least i made it yeah <laughs> so, good degrees. yeah yeah like very much of that mindset so i'm sure he was one of those types like where he was figuring it out mathematically what he would have to get 
And that was probably the number. <laughs> like, <laughs> the number he needed. And he studied just enough to get that number. Um, so, okay, fine. He passed math, and now he has to take English. But once again, like, time is so nebulous in this in this whole entire sequence. Like, it doesn't even follow a final schedule where it's like, okay, on these periods we meet, and on these periods we meet, and on these periods we meet. Okay. And I understand in middle school, a lot of the time, you don't necessarily have finals. A lot of schools have a tendency of not doing that system. System. they're still a bit young so they may just you know may just do like a big test of the unit and kind of party yeah we in my uh, high school you had quarterlies between seventh and eighth grade and then from ninth to twelfth you had midterms and finals yeah yeah and i was like really holding out that maybe this was an example of a quarterly but they also like never really said it yeah. i could not conceptualize and as a teacher it infuriated me um so like there's this extended period of time where he has to get like he has to take this test apparently he has no other tests he has to worry about so like what is he doing having pizza parties in all of his classes like <laughs> is he doing field day like i don't know now i just want to th point out this episode was not written by our dream team um it was written by james Hurst and aaron martin who did the last episode and did it well but you know not not one I still consider them B players. Yeah. Not like the, the Susan Nielsen, um, Tessa Dream Team. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree with that assessment. Oh, also, speaking of the math test, sorry to bring that up again. Armstrong does this really shitty thing where oh. he's just reading off everyone's grades. I, I was sitting there just like, Donnie's gonna fucking hate this. I got so <laughs> mad because it's like... Like, what? What the fuck, dude? Number one, you were already on my shit list because of I still don't agree with how you touched Liberty yeah. in that one episode. And number two, like, what the actual fuck are you doing? Just, like, publicly saying, some of you didn't do too hot. Spinner, you got, like, a 51. Like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. I understand some teachers will do that thing where they give eye contact to students, and I get it. Like, nonverbal cues, like, nonverbal cues are gonna happen, but, like, to straight up be like, and everyone, let's look at Ashley who got a 94 on this goddamn thing. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, nothing says encouragement like publicly shaming your students. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Even if you want to make the argument, well, in some cultures, like, they post all the test grades. Yeah, and they have, like, a student number that people don't know. Like, they don't just straight up have student's name, score. Like, you, you may have the scores posted. That's something that people do. I get it. But, like, they usually retain some degree of anonymity in the process. Like, not just going down the lines and saying, like, Oh, Paige, you got an 81. Like, <laughs> not so bad, but what the fuck? Like, that's not how teaching works. It never worked. I've never been, like, teachers don't do that. And they really have never really done that. And well, yeah, once again, it's just laziness. Yeah. And, like, it's just, like... They couldn't, they could, they couldn't think of any other way, to just make this plot happen unless they had all these characters acting just like completely like garbage people. Yeah. Like it just it, nothing felt natural about any part of this plot. No, no, and like it goes into another boneheaded spinner plan. So in the pro that that felt right though. That felt right. That that'll <laughs> give them credit because there's this bullshit spinner plan which the show has many bullshit spinner plans. And this was the only part that I felt like okay, fine, I can buy this part, which is that a couple kids, including Oscar, 
who we we now know as allegedly <laughs> the original plan of an LGBTQ character, gets sick. Quan notices that hey, there's this kind of like stressed out flu floating around, which which happens during finals and midterm season. Like people drop like flies. Yeah. Um, and it's just very common because of various reasons. We know germ theory by now. We don't have to go over that. Um, so Spinner um gets it the idea in his head that he is going to try and get himself sick and avoid the test which like you know what this is one of spinner's boneheaded plans that felt consistent because <laughs> <laughs> there's a level of grossness that spinner is willing to do <laughs> like i will get the flu and it's just like you know what you would dude you would so the way he gets the flu is Terry is like sneezing whatnot and drinking from this cup and he's like here let me throw that out for you rub the cup rub it on my lips it's so grody <laughs> like, it's so grody I feel like if Spinner was in the movie Ghostbusters and Slimer slimed him he'd be like yeah whatever moving <laughs> yeah, on <laughs> exactly like like nothing would get a like it would not get a rise out of him but yeah like he just does it and I was like okay you know what Spinner would do this um, I'm also just imagining him on that date with Emma. It's like, I think I threw my, my, I think my wallet fell in the trash. And, like, Sean carefully, like, unbuttoned his, like, uh, sleeve and rolled up, rolled up. And like, oh, sorry. And just shoves his whole arm down there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we all know it's true. We, I know you're right, but it's still the image. Oh. But, um... Yeah, so so there's that, and he's like, okay, let me do that. It's, it doesn't quite seem to work. He decides that he's going to do, like, a bunch of laps around the hall. <laughs> he's trying to, like, con Miss Kwan, and, like, you see him sprint past her three times. This was, like, actually funny. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'm into this. Well, this honestly, so this whole, this, like, five-minute scene, I think, was one of my favorite parts of the B-plot, because what he does is he tries to do that, he goes up to her, he's, like, super warm, no, wait, no, because there's one part about this before we get to this, um, which is, like, he seems super warm, she's like, fine, go to the nurse, and the nurse threatens to use a fucking anal thermometer on him? Hello? What? what? Show, show, why is there only, like, one good adult, like, a few, like, there's a bunch of adults on this show. Why are only, like, four of them okay? It's just, like, I hate this type of shit, and I feel like the problem is, also, if we put this into a farther context, this is another instance where Degrassi is using homosexuality as a humor device. Yeah. Where we have seen it be a punishment to be treated like you are gay basically, where I know you're counting out how many adults are <laughs> terrible in this, but um, you run into this thing where we have seen it be a punishment to look at, like, pinups of men and stuff like that and being perceived as, you know, feminine or anything is something that can be vilified. And then we see this, like, terrible, tiresome gag about being anally probed by the male nurse and like I, I see you Degrassi having a male nurse like it's it's gross it's freaking nasty it's it's absolutely quite frankly unforgivable in many ways and it just speaks to the bias that a lot of these writers have and while I know we have actual LGBTQ characters coming down the pipeline it is something to think about where 
uh, you know, when you have these types of series where they are written by committee, you have people who are very well-meaning, you know, you have people who are great writers who have sensitivity toward topics, and you got people who don't. And you have people who come from very toxic mindsets of what comedy is, and it all comes out when you do shit like that. I, I think this is another thing I want to go back and check, where it's just like, are these writers responsible for a lot of the, like, homophobic, like, remarks? And just like, is that just their thing? Like, is that their, is right? this just part of who they are? But like, when you, when you were watching this show, like, do you remember any of the, like, just the like, oh, that's not great. No, and that's the thing. It's like, when you, I mean, when I watched it, older because i rewatched this show i rewatched pretty much every single episode about two or three years ago which probably speaks a lot to how much i actually retained of it because a lot of uh, the first season especially i was very like not really paying attention to and i remember when i was older being hyper aware of how shitty a lot of the men in the show are and a lot of the boys are and how a lot of them do horrible things but I think also it speaks to my bias in terms of, like, what episodes I actually focused on, how many of them were just background noise, and how much of them I paid attention to, because, Frank, you haven't, act you haven't even met some of my favorite Degrassi characters yet. I mean, I love Paige, but, like, you haven't met Ellie and Marco and a couple other characters, Marco of which is gay, where... When I saw those characters, I would drop everything and watch it. And when I was a kid, those were the episodes I would actually try and sneak watching because they were the ones that I cared about. So I think a lot of this stuff just got lost on me because I didn't look for it. Now that I'm in a situation where I need to look at it and I need to unpack it, I'm becoming hyper aware. But it does make me worry about you know, some of the people that are still on the Degrassi Wikia page that are like, haha, that moment where Spinner, you know, almost had the freaking thing up his ass. It's worrisome. Yeah, because, yeah, because we've, we've gone over, we've gone over that, like, this show is still shown in Canada. Maybe now there's updated episodes that they'll show more often than these, but it's still like, you know, they're, they're, it's the same thing as the Armstrong thing, where you made this, te like, you validated this teacher's behavior by not having to get punished for it, and it's just like, well, we can make these jokes, like, and it's like, okay, well, I'm valid in also making those jokes, because it's on Degrassi, and everybody knows, do you think, how do I think of it, is that kind of why they're making these jokes? Is just like we're Degrassi, we're like hip and open-minded, and like we can, we go there. Well, I think the issue becomes like I think the issue becomes in the process of saying that you're going there. I think that also becomes them in many ways validating like we want to show all like you know all types of teens and all types of experiences so we're gonna also show you the chuckle fucks and stuff like that and and that's not to say you can't have the chuckle fucks you can't that does not to say that you know if you're doing a teen drama i understand you're gonna have jt's and you're gonna have toby's and you're gonna have spinners and you're gonna have kids like that but that doesn't mean that that you can get away with those types of jokes. And I think that their idea is, is, well, we're showing you many different types of kids. This isn't just, you know, 
only sensitive portrayals of teenagers were showing you at warts and all. And I think, unfortunately, that means that they can rest on their laurels of humor, which was considered totally acceptable in the early aughts. Because mm. um, that's the other thing. It's like, it's like when you watch anything from this time period, the language that is used, the jokes that are made, they're not things that you would necessarily get away with in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I just don't think the writers viewed the world and viewed the weight of their role in the same way that I think other, like, writers of YA media may today. Yeah. But what I do like about this episode and this plot is Spinner comes back to Quan's office, uh, Quan's room, and when he does, you know, she's just like, oh, like, you didn't get a note or anything. But they have a really good exchange. Like, yeah, she takes him by the arm, and at first I thought, I was like, okay, she's leading him back to his seat... And then, like, she takes him off to the side. He's like, look, I want a fresh start between us. And, if you, like, I think if you put half the effort you put into these harebrained schemes, like, you would actually do well. She says straight up, like, you're not a dumb kid, but the stuff you do around here is. Yeah. And I think that's what... I know I, and I'm sure, Frank, you you feel similar. Like, that's what I've been looking for for Spinner to have. I've been looking for an adult to say that to him. To say, like, I don't actually think you are, you know, you, you, you lack some sort of intellectual skill. I just don't think you focus it correctly. And to actually finally hear that happen was so important for me as a viewer. That, like, finally, 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 like, what Spinner has been looking for this whole entire time, even if he didn't necessarily know it, was finally happening. It it made me overjoyed, but then, like, I felt some sadness after it. Mm-hmm. Because I was just like, oh, God, what what would this... What would my tender chunk head have been if somebody was just, like, on his side from the beginning? And just, yeah. like, his... like And, like, was, you know, encouraging him and helping him, but... It was just super nice to see that they finally... He finally got somebody on his side. Yeah, yeah, finally. And what was beautiful about it was once he had that kind of pep talk, he came out of the test super confident. He was like, I knew more than I thought I did. Like, and and as a teacher, like, those are the moments that are your favorites. Like, kids like Spinner, at least for, for me, and, I, and, you know, every teacher is a little different, but, like, those are the kind of kids I, I genuinely have some of the best memories of teaching. It's really, like, when you have an A-plus student, a lot of the time, unless something really catastrophic happens, they're going to get an A. Yeah. And there's not going to be very much growth, unfortunately, because it's just the way education is sometimes. Your top-tier students, it's going to be harder to challenge them. But when you have a kid who is struggling, find some success. And that success does not always look the same as your A student, but it's something. Like, that is so wonderful and gratifying. And the face that he, fact that he was able to go, like, I knew more than I realized, not only speaks to um, the potential that he has, but also to the fact that something was going right. And whether that was Quan, whether that was Radich, I don't know. But it's, it's something very, very gratifying to see as a teacher. Yeah. Um, and he... He compliments her at the end, right? Yeah, he says, I owe it all to you, Ms. Kwan, which is so sweet. 
<laughs> and I was just like, and I mean, it made me think back to like three, like it was just, it was just such a nice 180 from like, what was it, like four episodes ago? Yeah. Where he's like egging her car and whatnot. And, um, saying, oh, I wish I had a video camera to record her tears, but like. <sighs> yeah. And, and as messed up as it may sound, like, Sometimes that's your relationship with students. Like, some students do some pretty terrible things at one point during the school year. And it takes, and, like, obviously, like, as a teacher, we're kind of conditioned to have to accept a lot of BS. And there's definitely a conversation that can be had about that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to to remember, like, they're kids. And sometimes they need certain experiences to learn and grow. And if you give them the chance to grow, then you have a shot. There, there might be something there that can become something better than what it was. Yeah. Um, but then we end on a joke because Terry came back um, and like she's like, oh, I have to take a makeup test. It's probably going to be harder. And Spinner's just like, oh, don't worry. And then Spinner very clearly is... I still don't know what the relationship between Paige and Spinner is. No. But he is still clearly holding a candle for Terry. Oh, he... Yeah, they have very good... Like, I hate saying, like, chemistry, especially within the context of, like, child actors, but, like, they seem to enjoy each other's presence. Yeah. It's very obvious, and they have some sort of rapport with each other that is clearly friendly. Yeah. Um... And then, like, he starts sneezing, and Tara's like, oh, that's how my, like, that's how my flu got started. He's like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, that's what happens, Spinner, when you still try and do the, your <laughs> terrible plans. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know where Quan's gonna end up, or Spinner ends up after this, and yeah, I don't want to know, but I really hope those two have some more directions now that they have this, like, a, a solid foundation with each other. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice, like, you know, it's, it's, and it's, I don't know. I feel like a lot of YA media in general doesn't truly take advantage of the rapport that former students have with teachers. Like, I feel like very few of them really truly explore, like, how there are some teachers that some kids just are always visiting or always checking in on, and for, you know, until they're in the school, like, you know, as long as they're in the school. Um, and you have this weird relationship where they graduated your class, like, they passed your class, and for all intents and purposes, professionally, like, your relationship with them is, is kind of done, and yet they still are there, still hanging out, like, still, still, like, coming into your room during lunch and stuff like that, and it would be very cute to see that type of thing happen where he still, like, stops by in her room and waves and, like, you know, makes some kind of snide remark, and then she's like, get to class, you're gonna be late, like, (laughs) having that kind of relationship. I was just thinking how wonderful it would be if when he finally graduates high school, if he came back and, like, thanked Mrs. Kwan. Oh, that would be really good. Um, so. Uh, so, B-plot had horrible moments, but okay moments. The A-plot, though. Is it, I mean, for me, the one only horrible moment was the, like, the nurse. Yeah. Everything else was just spinner being spinner. It's true, it's true. Um, so, this... This A-plot, I felt, was Degrassi, like, I was wearing my orange gi, and Degrassi is just like, I'm not even at my final form yet. I'm like, what do you mean, Degrassi? And then it starts powering up and becomes the final form of Degrassi. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
because Degrassi, you done me dirty. <laughs> yeah, this one, and this is where the content warnings really kick in because it's like two minutes in and it's already like content warnings left and right. Where it's like we see Tracker and Sean and it's like Tracker's... <sighs> This is, like, one of the first times we see Tracker extensively, which is interesting. We see him pick a fight with a child. <laughs> and we see him drop Sean off to school. And ultimately, like, we were like, okay, Tracker's a bad boy. And Sean has inherited some degree of bad boy. Okay, fine. This is, a mo- this is like, you know, a family quality, I guess. Um, and we get a little bit more about what their kind of situation is. So there's like, you know, Sean's trying to study and he's working on a motorcycle and Tracker is quizzing him. And I just, but being supportive. Yeah. Like when Sean messes up and he's just, but he's like, look, this is hard stuff to remember. Yeah, no, I really appreciated it. it. It's very obvious when you see this moment that Tracker for all of his prickliness does care deeply about Sean. Yeah. And you see that pretty consistently. And Tracker, I still don't love how he treats Emma. I still don't, you know, I don't really care for how he treats other people in many ways in general. But I do think there's something to be said about how, you know, sometimes the your family, your family, like, dynamics are going to have to look different when strife is happening. Yeah, I think... Tracker is doing his best. Yes. Like, I mean, he's probably only, like, what, maybe eight years older than Sean? Maybe nine? Yeah. And, like, he has this kid on his hands, and he's just like, well, I'm gonna make make the best of it. Yeah, and a middle schooler, and a middle schooler who has been through some degree of trauma. Yeah. And when, and another thing is, like, with Tracker, we don't have it explicitly, but presumably... Sean and him come from the same family, Tracker probably has his own degree of trauma as well. And if he is constantly busy and constantly working and constantly having to take care of his kid brother, he too probably has not been able to unpack a lot of his own trauma. Yeah. It's it's sad. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about, like, where I was when I was, like, Tracker's age. I couldn't take care of a, like, I couldn't take care of a child. No. I'm... 10 years older than what I think how old Tracker is, I still can't take care of a child. Like, I would only be able to because I teach. If I didn't teach, I don't think I would be able to. Yeah. Like, I just work extensively with this age group that I would be able to figure it out, but it would not be ideal. Yeah. Um, and Tracker mentions mom stopped drinking and wants to talk to you. And Sean's like, I know why she wants to talk to me. I don't want to talk to her. She wants me to move home. Yeah, yeah. And there's not too much said during this, and yet everything is said in it. It's very obvious that, at least to me, and maybe it's because I always unfortunately have look through this lens, especially with my experiences and volunteer work, but, like, you can tell whatever it was, that relationship between his mother and him is not good. Yeah, no, it's based on my own experiences like yeah it's there's there's bitterness Mm -hmm. and like there's distrust yeah yeah and there's many reasons why that could be and i you know not going to jump to certain conclusions relating to it but it's very obvious that this is not what sean wants and that he does not like you know it's just he shuts down yeah it's it's really upsetting and it's 
it's it's really hard and tracker even brings up you know like you have coping mechanisms and like you should be doing them and it's just like this really rough thing where you you truly realize the weight of sean's situation because i think for a while we're able to kind of forget about it yeah because he's i was about to say he's not under any pressure i was like oh look there's the title of the episode but like (laughs) you know throughout all this time we spent with sean he's not reacting to direct attacks upon himself he's reacted like you know last last time he was reacting to a, a like you know people making fun of emma mm-hmm. like but, I'm, but then like, you go all the way back to his first episode where he like slams jimmy against a locker like for jimmy saying like hey sean like good to see you again um and like we don't see him with his back against the wall until this episode. It's true. Like, he is in some position of... Like, he has some form of high ground in most of those situations. Or some form of control in these situations. Um, and he, you know, he's not panicking. He's not really he's not really triggered or anything. We don't see what he's like when his stressors are revealed. And we see him get aggravated, but... It's always because he's trying to do what's right. And even if you may not agree with how he does it, you don't agree with him jumping up in the middle of a crowd and yelling at the audience or anything like that, ultimately you could be like, you know what, I understand why this kid did it. Like, I get it. I, You know, he wants to do what's right. He may not always know how to do it, but he's going to do something. He'd rather be doing something than nothing at all. Um... And, like, I think one of the unsaid things, that, and I might just be reading too much into it, I don't, you know, I might not know if this is what the writers actually intended, but I think one of the unsaid things is that, like, Sean might think that, like, his mom could just pull him back at mm-hmm. any time. Because, like, I remember reading this thing about being a teenager is being aware of what's going on in the world and the forces at work but knowing you can't do anything about it because you're yep. not technically an adult. So I felt like that was one of the things that might have been even, like, pressing on him. Like, I could just be forced to go home, even, no matter what Tracker says or what Tracker does. And, yeah. Well, I th- yeah, I think that is something that Sean, unfortunately, is very aware of how temporary life is. Like, if he has had... He hasn't, he didn't necessarily say it, but, you know, if you come from a background where you have a parent dealing with alcoholism, there's moments, you know, or any addiction, there's moments of sobriety and there's moments that sobriety is broken and there's moments of hope and there's moments of absolute hurt. And when you're that young, especially, or any child, really, regardless of your age, like, the pain and the, and the lack of trust that you develop for authority in the process, which we see this consistent with Sean, he doesn't trust authority. Yeah. He is no, in many ways, just by that one throwaway kind of line, like, oh, mom, you know, mom's sober, that's enough to kind of say everything about how little he trusts people who are supposed to be protecting him. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um... Is this, he goes to school after this conversation, right? Yes. Yes, he does. Um, and he's, like, at his locker, and and Jimmy just makes this, like, boneheaded fucking comment. And yeah. it's, like, the thing about Jimmy and Sean's dynamic is we saw it very briefly, very early in the season, where it's, like, 
it's hard to tell Jimmy's intentions. Yeah. And it's like, I think the thing is, is like, Jimmy, when he feels that he can, likes to be a scutch, which is probably why he's with Spinner so much, because it's like, I think that Jimmy, if he knows he can get away with it, will instigate. Yeah. Because, and that's the convenience of being friends with Spinner, right? You have the ultimate, like, Trojan horse, or like something, not Trojan horse, but like some sort of, like, scapegoat. That was the word I was looking for. And I also feel like Spinner is big, and, you know, because... Just a spoiler for the end of the episode is, like, it leads to a fight. And, yeah. like, Spinner would have Jimmy's back. And he has, like, the weight and the, the height to, like, make a pretty big difference. Yeah, and Jimmy also knows that, like, Sean is a lone wolf in many ways. Like, Jimmy has a network. I know we talked about how lonely Jimmy is. And we can, you know, I still don't think a lot of his friendships are very real. Yeah. But he probably could rationalize it by saying, like, what, who's Sean going to call for? Like, Emma? Like, that's not going to do anything. You know, at least I can have X, Y, and Z person come to my aid. Like, JT and Toby are not, like, in Sean's corner. No, no. Toby especially. No, I realize. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Like, it's... It's one of those things where I think Jimmy just is a nudge and he likes to get under Sean's skin because he knows that it will get a rise out of him. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that Jimmy is, like, the worst human being ever. Jimmy is an eighth grader. If you have worked with any eighth grader, if they know how to get under someone's skin, they, you know, they will do it. Yeah. If they can get a rise out of you, you have lost. Like, it's one of those types of games. So, like, and especially if this is a case where Sean seems to be, quote, unquote, getting better, a lot of teachers probably are not really looking for it. Like, if they had, like, a, you know, maybe one confrontation earlier in the year, but for the most part, like, Sean has kept himself isolated from Jimmy and I think would anyway because of the fact that he's repeating a grade anyway. So, like... Sean has been kind of isolated from Jimmy, you as a teacher or as anybody working at the school probably isn't looking for it either. And, yeah. like, wouldn't think, like, oh, maybe we should make sure these kids don't see each other. So, like, when it does happen, there's all of this tension and this like, kind of remembering, this muscle memory of sorts of, like, how much, like, their dynamic is not good. Yeah, um, though they do, they bring up, like, the last time I think they encountered one another was on, in basketball. Oh, the basketball diaries. Yeah. Which, Jesus Christ, like... Yeah, Jimmy, you fouled, like, Sean. Sean, like... Sean like, was hurt! Yeah. And then he's like, you faked an injury and got me kicked off the team. He's like, no, you idiot! Yeah, so, like, Jimmy... And the thing about Jimmy, at least in this initial part of the episode, like, he does something, like, he says something about, like, his locker or something. I'm gonna miss your locker. Yeah, it's like... And he's like, well, yeah, because you're gonna move grades, right? And it's just, like, shitty little, like, eighth grade bullshit. It's Schrodinger's, um, it's Schrodinger's, like, douchebag. Um, like, you know, the guy who says the offensive line and then decides whether or not he's kidding based on your reaction. Yes. It's mostly used for racism. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, like, Jimmy does this and it's definitely that type of thing. And it's just kind of like... <laughs> just imagine Sean's like, yeah, moving on! Woo! And like, goes to high-five Jimmy. How, right? How Jimmy's much... like, who? <laughs> yeah, good, good for you, man. Oh, he zinged up. He zagged on me. Right? Like, that, that, like Jesus. Um, so, like, they still have some sort of tension, and we can tell that Sean is not quite as in control as he has been in some of the more recent episodes. Like, 
it's it's one of those things where you remember how not great like there was so much of the time when you see him in action like he's with emma he's calmer he's you know he's still a little snappish but ultimately like it's okay because he's snapping in the direction of the antagonist that you wanted to be snapped at We've been given so many moments to cheer on Sean this entire season that, yeah. like, uh, that is just, it's, it makes it hard to, like, then believe that he'd do this complete 180. Like, I mean, I believe it, but I think that I'm coming from a, I don't want to be like I'm coming from the same place. I did not have the same exact circumstances Sean has, but as somebody who has been a survivor and has had bad coping mechanisms because of it, because of the personal experience, I can see where this regression comes from. It's rough. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I find it completely unbelievable, but it's just like... It hurts. Yeah. It's, it, it hurts. It really hurts because we have seen characters behave badly and it's not necessarily been because of their circumstances. We've just seen, like, Paige, we don't have any tragic backstory for. When she does shitty things, it's Paige being Paige. But when Sean is misbehaving, it also carries the weight of his trauma in the process. And it's always really, really hard to have to watch somebody who is a survivor of some sort of heavy shit, have, like, you know, not do the right thing. The, yeah, and this feels like one of the like the worst things that's been done by like one of the the cast of children up to this point. Like I, you know, I don't like what Toby's done so far, but it wasn't what Sean eventually does, and it's just like, oh come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the things that have happened are little seventh eighth grade bullshit things or miscommunications that happen inevitably when you're a child and obviously this heavy stuff has always existed the first episode opens in a way with like such a horrible thing being discussed but why and while emma's trauma is totally valid and still traumatic in its own right it doesn't it's, it's you know, uh, uh, the trauma of a moment in time versus the trauma of probably your whole life. And not to say that your trauma is, like, you know, everyone's trauma is valid and how we deal with things is, you know, a very important conversation. And everyone, and, you know, survivors, regardless of their circumstances, should be respected and should be validated. But this is where we really see how your childhood can leave a mark on you. And I think that's a good transition into talking about what what else is going on in this up, like the the rest of this plot. Mm -hmm. um, so Sean expresses like I don't think I'm gonna do well in this, and Emma, being Emma, is like, oh, let me help you. Um, I'll come over later, and we'll I'll help you study. So um, she comes over, and she encounters Tracker again, um, and. Tracker's like, oh, you're here to be a good influence on my brother, as Sean yeah. Watson to get his book. But then says, like, because you are. And but yeah. also reveals, like, he also says, like, he alludes to, like, what got Sean kicked out of uh, Wasika. And just like, Tracker, that is not your conversation to have. No, 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 it isn't. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's so scary and there's this thing where 
it makes me wonder what tr how Tracker sees Sean. Does Tracker see Sean as this potential monster about to break out? Yeah. Like, does he look at him like a time bomb? Yeah. And it's so upsetting because tracker is trying to do you know trying to keep this kid safe and trying to like create an environment that he's being able to succeed but between this and the line about you know use your coping mechanisms this reads to me as tracker doesn't think he could control sean I mean, yeah like and like you know sean saying like you're not you're my so you're not my social worker like that i feel like expresses a lot about their relationship in that tracker like i feel like if your siblings going through this you'd have a different relationship towards it and just like rehashing what the social worker said would makes me like yeah like makes me think like that he doesn't view sean like sean as his brother it's just like or now that's a bit extreme but like he's not coming in it as a brother where like i know you i like you don't it, have that in you it would be more in like it'd be more intimate between the two like you're my brother you're better than this yeah. like this isn't like this isn't you like you can be better than this yeah and like is that necessarily the and that's the thing it's like i don't think that's necessarily the rightest thing to say but that's usually what you would hear somebody who who want you know still has faith that this person isn't too far gone it's this is not like you you don't have this capacity you are not this monster like you know reiterating those types of talking points when you are going oh, didn't you go over this with your social worker yeah. that reads to me as you feel that you have your back against the wall yeah and tracker does in many ways if his mother is getting better it's like you know trying to get sober and trying to get custody i'm sure tracker feels super powerless but it's very interesting also that he still like you know is like trying to find a way that sean does not regress to being this violent person yeah um and that's so we cut we cut we cut to emma and sean um quizzing each other and it's going, you know, it, it's the old, like, and this, I think, was done purposefully to kind of make the ending hurt a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is it's, like, it's their old dynamic. Like, they're, like, supporting each other. Like, they're having a good time. And then Emma mentions that Tracker said something. And then Sean has to um, relay the story of he got in a fight with a kid. He hit the kid so hard he went deaf in one ear for a while, and then like I forget like he I don't know if he says anything like I'm I'm trying harder to not be like that or or I I forget the scene. <laughs> it's it's a really hard scene to watch and um you know there is some I think he does make some sort of comment about like trying to trying to like you know do better it's just it's it's a very hard one and it's like as soon as violence is involved it's so hard because sean doesn't make any apologies like it doesn't make excuses rather he doesn't excuse why he wailed on this kid 
it's not like you know and i feel like a lot of the time and i feel like sean is one of those people where at least i don't even know if he would own up if there was something a reason why i don't know i don't think i don't i could believe either way sean explaining why he did it or sean just being like you know what i did it and there were consequences and i don't feel like explaining why i did it because at that point it doesn't matter yeah that feels very sean but like the fact that tracker was not making an effort to kind of defend it either reads to me that this was some sort of violent confrontation that didn't necessarily have a reason that meant Sean was in the right. Yeah. Like, I feel like if, you know, the Sean that we know would have the capacity to wail on a kid, but that would be a kid that, like, was using slurs or beating up another kid or, like, doing something that warranted Sean getting in the kid's face. Yeah. But I think this is a dark, dark area that it's very possible the way that everyone's talking about it that Sean beat this kid up and there was not very much reason why. Yeah. So, um, they get back to, like, next day at school. Um, Sean encounters Jimmy again. Jimmy says something to set Sean off. and Sean- Well, he also is working on the test first. I thought this was before. No, test is first. So, okay. so, cause that's like another stressor. Yeah. So what ends up happening is, is that Sean's really worried about media immersion. That's what they're studying. He then goes to take the test, which looks amazing, by the way. Like Snake <laughs> is clearly the proper teacher for this because the test looks amazing. It's on, it's online and everything. And it's like super beautifully laid out considering it's the early aughts. And because it's an online test, Snake is able to put a timer on it. And they're given about 45 minutes. So Sean is like, you know, cruising along, cruising along, cruising along. He's answering the questions. And, and I guess there's no visible timer or anything because the the test unceremoniously stops. Yeah. And he's freaking out. He's really, really upset. Liberty is really snotty about it. Yeah, not great Liberty. Yeah, which like, I'm not going to like, you know, spend too much. I think it's one of those things where like Liberty is kind of feeling herself and in the past few episodes and i think that in the process of it she's saying some mean stuff because she's trying to like figure out this new version of herself i think i'm giving the writers too much credit but like that's what's kind of reading like like yeah i i don't know i I also just felt like it was liberty and emma do feel very similar in that like i don't get people no, and and there is a moment where Sean says in when they're studying, like, okay, Liberty, okay, Liberty. And I was just, like, cracking up because especially after we've discussed how, like, they're two very similar characters in many ways, Sean notices that they are two very similar people. Um, uh, yeah. At what point, he also has a, a lunchtime detention with Mr. Simpson. Yes, so actually this is, I think, the moment. I think this is the moment where, like, everyone is beginning to leave, and Snake is like, no, I think this is the next, that's another scene. Yeah. Sorry, I was jumping ahead, um, mostly because I don't like thinking about the next scene, which is that, you know, it happens, Sean's super activated because he's convinced that he failed because he didn't get to finish the test, which, like... We've all been there, and, like, even if you ended up doing really, really well on, like, the one essay you spent forever working on, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, you're good to go, you're in the clear. Like, we've all had a moment like that where our time management was horrendous, and especially, you know, like, 
and I've done this as a teacher, like I've given kids extra time, but if it is an end of the year test, usually the time is budgeted very specifically for a reason. And unless the kid has some sort of accommodation, like you can't give more time. So it makes sense that like he's not granted any of that. So he's yeah. super activated, he's super upset. Um, and Jimmy, Jimmy comes out of freaking nowhere and just like, makes the freaking slimy-ass remark about Ritalin, like, taking Ritalin to help with focusing. Yeah. Which reiterates how little he actually learned from that plot. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it got under my skin. Like, there's just so many things that he does. Um, Jimmy, you need to grow up. Yeah, like... It, it's so vile, like, I think he calls Sean a psycho at one point, like, it's, and, and obviously Jimmy has also had this treatment used against him by Emma, actually, who, who called him, um, I don't know if he, if she used that word specifically, but, like, something really awful as well, and it's just, like, to watch him then lash out in a similar way, and once again, being a nudge, he knows he'll get a rise out of Sean. Yeah. He knows. Like, he was 100% aware that, that he can get this to happen. Um, it was just, like, really upsetting to watch. It was really vile. And I, I, I hate saying this about Jimmy because I know that Jimmy is this victim of the writing in many ways. He is a victim of the racism in a lot of these writers. And it's awful seeing it happen again, where once again, he's he's just trying to start a fight and everything. But it's still, like, was... It was still really, really hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and is this where uh, Sean challenges him? Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy's just, like... We, we cut to... I Because of the way we, we section these off, A plot, B plot, it's hard to follow in sequence... But, like, we cut to Jimmy talking to Ash. He's like, you shouldn't... Ashley just be like, you shouldn't fight him. Paige is, like, 100% about her rumor mill comment at this point. She's like, yeah, like, he he beat the shit out of the kid and made him deaf. Like, <laughs> like Paige, for whatever reason, her sources are very good. Because, like, she 100% is just like, oh, yeah, this happened. And it's, like, 100% correct. I just imagine Paige is just, like, um... Uh, what's that guy? Varys from... Game of Thrones, like, my little birds tell me Sean deafened a kid in one ear. Yeah, like, that's, like, the type of thing. It's, like, she just is, like, she knows. And, like, I do appreciate that Ashley is, like, I am not supporting you in this. Like, this is dumb. Like, don't do it. Ashley, I feel like, has matured over this, the course of this first season because of this comment. Because Ashley didn't have any problem setting, um, setting Jimmy on James Tiberius York. Yeah. We finally hear that. I was very pumped. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. My super bro, Danny, was the one who pointed out that that's what J uh, JT's full name is. Yeah, I didn't even think to tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a bad veteran fan. Eh, um, Danny's got the 411. It's true. Um, but, like, and Hazel pops up also. Again. Yeah. yeah just, hey, like, Hazel. Oh, hey, Hazel. You and Oscar are back. <laughs> Right? It's just like, oh, hey, here's some characters that aren't white that you probably forgot about because we don't know how to write them. And Jimmy is just like, Sean's had this coming for a while. Yeah. Which, I don't, like, I mean, it, it connects back, I guess, to the tension of Basketball Diaries and stuff like that. 
And it makes sense, because Jimmy is a very immature character, and yeah. people at that level of immaturity, it's never their fault. They'll twist the truth until they can make it the other person's fault. Exactly. So, um... I get it. I hate it, but I get it. So, at some point, like... Do you... I'm, I'm not sure the sequence of events that lands him in lunchtime attention is that just that he's late and has an attitude towards yes snake? that's exactly what it is so like it goes back to like a media immersion snake is that like snake's doing attendance and then he is and then like you know sean snaps back like you know basically like what why who cares like fuck it like why <laughs> why does it matter if i'm late um and then snake is like okay you need a lunch detention um and then everyone leaves um he he also establishes he hasn't graded the test yet like, he establishes, like, you know, I haven't done all the grades yet, so obviously another stressor to put on Sean. Like, he still doesn't know his grade, he still doesn't know his standing concerning the class. Um, and then Snake kind of waits for people to leave and just kind of jumps into a conversation with him. Yeah, it's basically, like, Snake knows what's up. And I really appreciated that. Because he's just like, so, what? Basically, what's going on? And he's just like, none of this matters, I'm a failure, I'm always going to be a failure... Which is the most depressing thing to hear a 12-year-old say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's rough because outside of, like, I and, and, the, and it's particularly hard as a viewer because we have not really seen a version of Sean that, like, sucks. We have seen him be gruff and brash and a little brusque. But, like, ultimately he has not done things wrong a lot of the time he stood up for emma he has um you know been able to have his mind pushed with emma's ideas we have seen him be able to grow quite a bit and to see it's really upsetting because it really reiterates how quickly like how recovery from trauma is not linear and how it's very very easy to end up in a dark place again if you do not have that consistent support and how a lot of that work that is put into somebody, which very well could be for many months at this point, based on this nebulous timeline, can just shatter, especially when the person in question is a 12-year-old. Yeah. And because that, this, and, like, they have just a, a really, like, because, like, Snake's like, if you have that attitude, that's what you're going to be. And I just, it was a really heartwarming talk they had. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate it. It's like, once again, it's like, Snake, you are just a damn fine teacher. Like, um, and that, but, like, this one talk is not enough to stop this fight. No, no, and, you know, why would it be, in yeah. many ways? Like, it's clearly too much, like, there's just so much piled up, and, um, you know, Jimmy and Sean see each other, and Jimmy is not exactly somebody who's gonna try and, like, make things better. Yeah. So, the fight is on. And um, they meet in, like, an alleyway, and it's also, like, really, like... This, this is one of the realest fights, like, a really real fight I've seen in a young adult media. There's that... There's also a lot of black kids in the extras. I didn't know. Like, there are some white kids in it, too, but it's, like, suddenly, like, there's a lot of black kids with, like, their hair, like braided back and stuff like that and it felt very oh here's the rough kids and like here's the kids that would show up for a fight exactly and like you know i i understand that some people probably think i am over analyzing some of this and 
I just think it's a lot of, a lot of in, you know, internalized racism, internalized ideology coming out. I don't think this is like the writers going, we are going to be racist, let's do blank to be provocative. I think this is just, who do we think is going to show up to a fight? Oh, let's have these kids in. And look, if, you, if we're wrong, if you've like listened to the commentary or heard an interview where they're just like, these were the only extras we had for the day. Like, I would be very willing to issue an apology to Degrassi. But until I hear from that and like, because I have that DVD description, I have everything with Jimmy, I don't believe them, like, I wouldn't believe that they're just like, no, like, this was just an, uh, uh, an accident. Because it's just like, why? Why no. these kids? Like, Spinner wasn't available? Was Sp- Spinner wasn't there. Spinner wasn't there. To be fair, Spinner's dealing with his own plot, so I, I guess, like... It seems like very rarely, unless it's very active being, like, a communication point, it, characters don't really seem to appear between the plots JT and in Tw- a way that makes sense. Ashley's not there, obviously, because she's, like, sure, like, I'm not watching this. Which, yeah, yeah, she establishes very clearly she is not there. Um, JT and Toby aren't there. No, no, JT and Toby are not there. I don't think any of the principal characters are there except for Jimmy, Sean, and then Emma. And this is what... This is where we have... Oh, God, I don't... Oh. So they start fighting, and Sean very clearly begins to win. Um, and there's also this very frantic energy in it. It feels like what happens right before a fight happens. They start... And then yeah. what happens when it happens. Yeah, like, they start off by pushing each other, and then, like, they start throwing punches and end up on the ground, like, wrestling. Mm-hmm. I've seen fights like this happen in my high school. Like... My high school is kind of a rough and tumble place, generally full of good people, but, like, rough and tumble. Yeah, yeah, and, um, I've been pretty lucky and not had to break up too many fights. I've been in pretty fight-free schools, but, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, the one or two fights that happen during the year, when they happen, it's torn up t-shirts and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> like, black eyes, it's, it's nasty. Yeah, so, um, like... Sean gets Jimmy down the ground and hits him, and then Emma's like, Emma tries to pull Sean off of Jimmy. Sean turns around, says, get out of here, and then shoves Emma to the ground. Yeah. And it is the point where my heart broke during this episode, and Emma storms off, and everybody kind of leaves at that point, leaving Sean alone. As he desperately tries to say to Emma, please come back, I didn't mean to do this. Yeah. And it's it's such a hard moment because it is, like, one of the worst case scenarios you could have for a character like this where you're cheering them on so much. Like, we, we loved Sean for so long. Like, every episode... He was like, you know, uh, like, you know, just this, this wonderful child for us. And like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, was that an accident? The argument could probably be made that it was an accident. But, and what I do appreciate about this writing, because it's very in line with Emma and really reiterates what I liked about their relationship from the start, which was that Emma is not this person who's just going to tolerate bullshit. She's not this 
woman trying to heal a broken man, which I think a lot of people watching this episode were kind of holding out that that would happen because Emma, Emma's over it. She leaves. She does not accept an apology from him. She storms off. And we cut to the next day. Snake's like, you did great on your test, Sean. And Sean comes up to Emma. I don't think he even apologizes again. Like, no. And he's just like, thanks, you know, like, I did really good on my test and all because you... Manny is standing next to Emma. Manny says nothing to him and just walks away from him. Yeah, she, like, gives him a death glare and walks off. <laughs> good on you, Matt. Manny's the best friend. Yeah, but though I was just like, you also want to stick around, like, if somebody assaulted somebody, I'm like, stick around just in case. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, I was just, I was kind of laughing because I just thought, like, oh, man, Sean was lucky Manny wasn't there. Because right. I think Manny would, Manny would back Emma in a fight, like. Oh, yeah, no, Manny would just freaking dove in. Like, Manny <laughs> would just be like, Manny would attack. But, like, you know, they have this conversation, and Emma is very clear, like, I, you know, like, you know, that's not enough. Like, good for you, but bye. Yeah. And it, it makes sense. And, like, not even based on what happened in the first episode, but just in the fact that we have seen where she comes from, which is Spike, who has said, like, you know, don't let a man make you feel bad. And, like... Emma is not going to to make an excuse for somebody, even if it is somebody that she's really close with. Yeah. So. And and as much as I as much as this episode breaks my heart, and as much as I think that there's still a lot that can be said, it was important for there to be this consequence, which is like you can come from bad shit and you can have bad coping mechanisms, but that doesn't mean that the people in your life who are people that you care about have to stay for it. And that's a very hard lesson to learn. And I know people may be like, well, Donnie, that's ableist. I'm saying this is somebody who came from this, who came from a really busted ass home and from somebody who then also had horrible coping mechanisms and had to learn a lot of really tough lessons growing up. And I say this as somebody who has not been through the exact thing that Sean has been through, but has, you know, done things that were not the best in terms to people I care about. And those people, as much as you love them, don't need to be with you. Yeah. Even if you need somebody, you need to know that you can't hurt them in the process. Yeah. It's because... If Emma was to forgive him that easily and allow him back into her life, that would send the message that, like, this kind of thing is okay. Yeah. Both, both on a character level and to um, those watching it, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I did appreciate the fact that, like, Emma is clearly not okay with this. Nobody should be okay with this. And, she, like, they just walk away. It does break my heart, but it's just, like, you have to take what comes, like, and just, you know, my dream of Sean just becoming the perfect, wonderful boy that I want him to be, that I've seen him try to be, is not going to come true unless he learns. Yeah. And that's, it's the same with, like, people in, you know, in the real world is, like, Yes, you can love somebody unconditionally, and they can hurt you through stuff like this, and it's just... 
until you like put your foot down it's like no i don't you don't get to do that and have me in your life it's just it's not gonna work yeah it's never like yeah and and in many ways i'm grateful for the way that this ended because if emma just took him in with open arms then we would have every bad heterosexual teen drama relationship it'd be twilight it would be twilight it would be literally insert any like the big ship in most teen dramas it's that cat and mouse abuse cycle of like the honeymoon period and then the strife and then the honeymoon period again it it would just play out again and again and again and the fact that emma did set her boundaries it was really important it still hurts but it was so important like i'm just i'm just like imagining now like Am I getting home? Because you know she told Spike about this. Oh, absolutely. And Spike's like, Sean's never stepping foot in this house again. Yeah, yeah. Like, Sean has been blacklisted. So. I don't have have that much else to say about this, do you? Uh, No, no. I mean, um, I think that there were still... I still stand by the fact that there were a lot of world-building issues that I have with this episode. But I do think that it does have a worthwhile message in certain ways. But it does really hurt and... I gotta see, we gotta see what happens. I mean, as far as we know, we're coming to the, close to the end of this one school year. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I was just thinking, like, she still sits, like, right next to him. Yeah. Like, but then again, I also think, like, Spike would tell Snake, and Snake would move one of their seats. Probably. So. Or, or Snake may even just hear about it. Yeah. You know how the kid rumor mill is. It's... It'll, it'll come out eventually. So it's just, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Um, so I guess we'll go to, want to just jump to recommendations and kind of put us in a slightly okay spot before we jump to character rankings, character rankings and stuff. Um, actually I, I borrowed two books from Donnie and I want to recommend both of them. (laughs) Yay. Um, uh, the first is The Bride Was a Boy, story and art by Chi. It is a beautiful story um, about a uh, trans woman getting married. It was awesome. And my lesbian experience with loneliness, which is not as... It, like, it... it it's a bit... Uh, it, it, okay, for that one, I'm going to throw out some trigger warnings of, like, severe... It talks very much about mental illness and, like, everything that comes along with that. It is still a worthwhile read, especially seeing this person go on their journey. Um, that's by, uh, Nakta Kabi. So. Um, my recommendations, one of which is probably one that if you read YA, you've probably checked it out, but it's always worth revisiting, and I think that if you're somebody who likes characters like Sean, but maybe want to see an ending a little less depressing than this episode definitely check out aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe um by benjamin alire sayens oh god i probably messed up butchered his name and i feel terrible about it but it's a great book it talks about um these two boys who develop feelings for each other um one of the boys is, you know, not always able to articulate his needs very well, sometimes may be prone to um, having this need, these violence urges and things like that. And it really explores how 
how much you can grow and change even if you are dealing with some really heavy stuff. Um, and if you are somebody who likes audiobooks, um, my partner just finished it up with the audiobook, which is done by Lynn manuel Miranda. Oh my god. Which, yeah, so, so, <laughs> Frank just like, shut up. Um, so if you want to give it a listen, if you're somebody who's more audiobook oriented, he does a fabulous job. Um, another one that I'm going to recommend, sounds a little weird, but please bear with me. Um, last night, I actually finally, finally, after literally years, I got to see the musical version of Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, so if you're somebody who is very interested in abuse narratives, um, the Disney version, as well as the musical version, which you can find a cam rip on YouTube, um, don't tell anybody I said that, um, <laughs> does a really interesting exploration of abuse in the context of Quasimodo and Frollo's relationship dynamic. Um, most adaptations don't explore it in this way, but I think that if you check out either of, their, of those, um, they're very interesting because they specifically get to that root that I think a lot of abuse survivors are looking for in narratives, which is instead of having this violent urgism lashing out at other people, what if you were able to look your abuser in the eye and actually strike that revenge that you're looking for? Um, and, I th and still have that hero narrative and still be treated like a hero even though you are different and even though you are dealing with a lot of baggage. And I think that you know, also there's just fabulous music in it. The visuals are beautiful. Um, you know, it's it's a Disney movie that has a lot of themes that are very relevant to 2018. So watching it, you get a lot of different feelings toward racism and ableism and immigration and xenophobia and like all of these things that are so relevant to today. Um, definitely revisit these. And especially if you're somebody who's feeling some kind of way after watching this episode and want to see an abuse narrative that confronts it and also confronts the abuser in a way that might be more satisfying than some narratives that really emphasize forgiving your abuser. Um, definitely check them out. Okay. So, um. Character rankings. Which, Frank, I'm going to... I understand that this one's a little more harder, so... If you have any characters you'd like to pass on, just because, like, there's two... Some of these, it feels very weird to rank after some of the decisions made. It's up to you. I mean, Sean's obviously going lower. Because, like, yeah. as much... As much as I feel for what Sean's going through, and... You know... Uh, no, I have to pass on Sean. I, I can't... It's... Because it's... I... Like, to say Sean would go down in my rankings would be to also ignore what he's going through, but that also doesn't make an excuse for his actions towards Emma. Because that would... That's the real reason Sean would go down my rankings, is because he struck out at Emma. And also Jimmy. But, like... It's It's hard. It's hard, and the story, in theory, is not over. Yeah. With this. Like, I feel like this is one of those things that, especially because I think next week is the last episode of the season, which, oh my god, we're almost through a full season of Degrassi already. <laughs> Presumably, this is something I could see coming up pretty quickly, in terms of what is the actual fallout from this. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I had to pass on that. Like, um, Jimmy... It's going way down. 
Spinner's going way up. Um, I liked him. Quan's going way up too. I like those two making peace with one another. Um, Emma's going like Emma's gonna reach near page levels this week, just for her absolute like I am. This is unforgivable. No, like no dice. Mm-hmm. Um, Manny also for just sticking to the party line and just like being there for her friend. Also is rising pretty high. Snake also rising. Snake's been on the rise to near page levels. Like if he if he wasn't already up there because of like being a huge nerd last week, mm-hmm. like he's you know the two of them are like leaving the galaxy together. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracker for trying his best is going up a little bit. Um, what else is in this episode? Terry um, staying roughly the same. Didn't really do much this episode to yeah. be sick. Um. Page for not putting up with Spinner's nonsense is rising a bit higher. Actually, you're getting a significant bump too for not putting up with Jimmy's bullshit. All the all the women in this episode were just like, I'm just done. I'm just done with dealing with these like this Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. It's true. I really appreciate that. That like none of them were here to play. Like Paige was just like, I know what's going on. She didn't really say anything left or right to support it. Right? No, but she didn't mince words. She was just like, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, I think that's just everybody in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Ugh, this was a rough one. Um, in some ways, I'm glad that it did go in the... in You know, go there in many ways. In other ways, it's very just anxiety-inducing. And I think it also speaks to, you know, as much as we sometimes rag on some of these episodes and some of these characters, how much we do deeply care about them. Yeah. And how attached we are becoming. Yeah. Like, I wanted Sean to be better, and he just wasn't. But that's the way it goes sometimes. It's true. It's true. Um, unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but very true. Um, so, we're almost done with season one, which is super duper exciting. Yeah. So, we figured, I figured I would let everybody know beforehand... Um, our goal is that we are going to finish up season one, and then we're going to take a week that we're going to talk about something Degrassi adjacent. So, (laughs) maybe a book written by one of the writers, or a movie starring one of the Degrassi cast members, or something like that. Um, and then we're going to jump into season two, which brings me to the usual spiel that we give. Um, I know season two introduces a lot of heavy hitters for a lot of people. Um, a lot of fan favorites finally get to be here. Um, that being said, we would love to have you here. So if you are interested in potentially being a co-host for an episode, um, please email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, we have a lot of potential characters, a lot of really interesting plot lines, um, and we would love to have people on. And what credentials must you need, you ask? You don't need that much. You can be a new time you can be an old fan you can be um from a certain perspective that you think is important we would love to get more recent high school graduates and we would love to get canadian perspectives because we are very american and i feel like every so often there are little things that we just miss because the fact that we're american um so if you are interested at all feel feel free to um contact us 
Um, once again, it's ihopepod at gmail.com. You can also keep in touch with us in other places, such as Twitter, which is at ihopepod, on Tumblr at ihopepod, as well as on Facebook at I Hope I Can Make It Through a Podcast, um, where you can definitely talk to us, message us, ask questions, um, or potentially put your feelers out and see if you're somebody who wants to join in. Um, if you don't want to do a full co-hosting stint and instead you want to tell us about how certain episodes have left a mark on you and have impacted you, feel free to send us by email either a audio clip or a text that we can read on the air, whether you want myself or Frank or both to read it. Um, so definitely please get us in touch. We want to start getting the materials together for season two, so please make sure that you reach out to us. If you want to speak to me individually, I can be reached at um, on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. I'm at Stuck Dancing on Twitter. Um, and feel free to also talk to us individually. Um, other than that, um... I, I was just also saying we would also very much like somebody who's also seen a good portion of Degrassi because as I love all the guests we've had, but Donnie's being a little lonely is the only veteran. <laughs> it's true. Like, I just am kind of like in the void where I'm just like, yeah, I really like this character. And everyone's like, well, based on this episode, I feel blank. And I'm like, yeah, but, mm, but there's so much more than you are saying. Um, but yeah, please, if you are a Degrassi fan or you've seen a couple seasons or whatever, like, don't hesitate to reach out because it would be really nice to have somebody that I can just like speak and babble with. Yeah. So, other than that, um, whatever it takes, we hope we can make it through. <laughs> we really hope that you're going to be there with us. Um, until next week, everybody. Later. Later.